0: thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study.
1: Well, why don't you turn with me to... uh... 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 3, 18 verses, so we'll make it through it fairly quickly, um, packed with a lot of information that uh, is helpful to us in our journey. Paul, just like uh, Jesus, speaks very uh, practically uh, to us, you know, give us good, solid uh, understanding. You know, oftentimes when people would travel, oftentimes for us, when you go into apply for a job or you're wanting to connect in in a work environment or something oftentimes you'll take a, a letter with you that or someone sends an email in advance if you're going right and they they send like a communication that just says Hey, you know, this person's okay. It's a letter of recommendation. Hey, this person is qualified to do what they're doing or, or whatever it might be. But there's this thing that kind of goes out in front of you or that oftentimes in their culture, in Paul's time, 2,000 years ago, they would carry this letter with them. And they would bring that letter out and they'd say, hey, this, and it would be kind of sealed from the person that sent it. And you trust the person that sent that communication. So that's kind of the way it it would work. Well, oftentimes in their culture, they would send letters like that. Paul oftentimes sent letters for guys that were his emissaries, people that were going to uh, do ministry business. He would give them a letter. They would take this letter and they would bring this letter out and the the people would look at it and say, okay, so this guy's not a charlatan. He's not trying to take advantage of us. The idea is is that there's this communication that went out in advance, letting them know. Let's see what Paul says about this. And you know, there's people there in Corinth that are saying, hey, Paul, man, you know, that dude, he's not really an apostle. You know, he's done this. He's done that. He said he was coming, and he never got here when he said he was going to get here, and they're undermining Paul, saying he's really not who he is, but we know he really is. And Paul knows who he really is, and Paul's reminding them of what they really do know about who he is. Okay? So that's the mindset going into this as we get started. Do we begin again to commend ourselves in verse 1 of chapter 3, or do we need, as some others, letters or epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Now, giving that little bit of background, just that snippet that we had, it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? You know, see, he's not saying, hey, you know, do we need, are you, are you really? Do we need to have someone send stuff about who, who we are? Do we need to really do that? You know, I've been a part of planting other ministries and stuff, and in my interaction with them, I mean, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? Do I need to have some kind of you know, uh, just to be present and be around the other groups. I mean, it would be weird when it degenerates to that level. And that's what Paul's saying. That, that, doesn't, that seems weird that it would be turned into this. Do we really need those kind of communications to, from others to you or from you when we go to see others? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, clearly, You are a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone or tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So this common thing, this letter of recommendation, very common practice, Paul says, Really, isn't it better than this written recommendation? Isn't it better that you see a transformed life? Isn't a transformed life a more powerful document? That radical transformation that can happen in someone's life, isn't that a more powerful document? He says, basically, Paul is saying, you Corinthians are our letter. That's basically what he's saying to him in those first three verses. You guys are our letter. The fact that you exist as a church is the evidence of the ministry of who God is in our lives and who he's become in your life. He says that ministry that takes place, the fact that you guys get together as a church is evidence or or really is the byproduct of, of who he is as an apostle. He says, you guys, really, Paul basically is saying, you guys really are our letter or the letter. Who really then is the author of this letter? None other than Jesus himself. That's what he says in in verse 3. Clearly, you are a letter of Christ. He's the author, really, on your heart. He's the one that's really endorsing this. He's the one that's really, this is all about. He's the one that's really communicating that letter of recommendation, Paul basically says, hey man, I'm just the instrument or I'm just the pen that was used to to write with. You see how practical this stuff is. You know, the people that we communicate with, with the gospel, and we're going to talk about that authority that we have or that ability we have to communicate this wonderful news, to have this written in someone's life. The mere fact that you are a believer means that someone ministered something to you. Someone prayed for you. Someone shared the gospel with you. Someone was bold enough to communicate this truth with you. We are all byproducts of that. Every one of us are. So we clearly see the author is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. Paul clearly is just saying, hey, we were just the, the the instrument or the pen that was used to write with. And then he goes on and says, the ink that was used. The ink was really the Holy Spirit. It was really the Spirit of God that's the ink, that mark, that indelible mark on your life. And what a powerful truth to know. It wasn't written on a piece of paper, it wasn't written on a piece of stone. But this, this letter that's written, this, this commendation, this, this endorsement that's said about who we are as believers, it's written on the hearts of you as men and women, followers of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, and write it on their hearts, that that was what, what would happen ultimately with this new covenant. This new covenant would be written on the hearts of men and women. And isn't that what's happened to us as followers of Jesus Christ? God has made himself known to us. And he's written on your heart, on my heart, his love, the message of the gospel itself. We don't need letters of commendation or recommendation in that sense. Really, it shouldn't be that because you have a fish on your business card, that that makes you a Christian or that makes other people have to do business with you. That's fine if you wanna do that. You wanna let people know you're a follower. That's not a problem. But what I'm saying is there is no obligation. I would think that your business transactions are good enough and solid enough and they're integrous enough that people wanna do business with you. I love the early days of the Christian music scene. I love that because you know what? Those guys played all kinds of places. People didn't come out to hear them because they were Christian artists. People came out to hear them because they were good musicians. And then ultimately, those people got saved because they were sharing a message of what God had done in their lives. That's powerful. That's a a different transition than what we have happening today. You know, it's one's outwardly connected and one's just ministering inward. And you know what happens when you only minister inward, right? You die off, you fossilize. That's what happens. And we don't want to just do that, do we? We want to be able to reach out and go outward. So Paul's writing back saying, hey, I know you guys, there's those that are saying, you know, who is really Paul? Is he really an apostle and all this stuff? And he's saying the very fact that you guys exist is the endorsement. It's the fact that God it, it has done this in your lives, that only by that authority. Let's go on in verse 4 and kind of see how this, this kind of fits together. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Who is sufficient? Paul stated that earlier in the verse 16 of chapter 2. He says, who is sufficient for these things? And then he goes on and he starts to answer that. He gives a response to that. Because oftentimes, you and I, we may find ourselves, oftentimes, because of our failures, our inconsistencies, Even in speech, an ability to say the word, you know, it can happen. You can see how easy inconsistencies happen, right? But the idea of we're inconsistent, we're not perfect. We fail. We don't always live up to the expectations that we set for ourselves or that others set for us. And we certainly can't live up to the letter of the law. All have died as far as the letter of the law goes. The letter of the law killeth. Absolutely, 100%, you're condemned by the Ten Commandments. Every last one of us, we're condemned. We're absolutely sent to hell by the Ten Commandments. There's nothing, you can't live up to it. When people tell me, I often run into people that profess Christianity, but don't know Jesus Christ. And they will say, oh, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. I go, wow, really? Because I know you can't. You can't live up to the Ten Commandments. They are a measure, a, a standard given to us to show us our desperate need for a Savior, for the work of the Spirit, For a a master that could do everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Oh, we're gonna get into that in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sufficiency. Having enough. Sufficiency. Being sufficient. It's an interesting concept because you and I are taught, and we teach our young people growing up in our homes, our kids, our family, we teach them you know, you've gotta learn to be more self sufficient. You know, it's, it's self sufficiency. Hey, you've gotta take care of you. You know, because if you don't take care of you, no one else is going to take care of you. You have to be self-sufficient. It's an often thing that we're, we're caught up in and that we, was taught to us, and yet when we come to the Lord, it almost goes all into this different thinking again because really that's not what it's about. It's about being dependent on God, isn't it? It's not, no longer about being sufficient of ourselves. Who is sufficient to communicate this gospel that we know we don't always live up to this perfect standard. Who's sufficient? Who has enough? Only Jesus has enough, and you and I in Jesus have enough. But I love what he says here, and we have such trust through Christ toward God in verse four, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Kind of a mouthful for me, kind of a brainful for me a little bit. I kind of have to untie that a little bit, for myself anyway, just because it just, it's a lot said. But as ministers, he's talking about as ministers of this new covenant, this good news of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness of sins can be, given to, can be granted to all through the blood of Christ, the finished work on the cross. You know, Paul says, we're not thinking that we were the ink and we're not thinking we're the author of the letter. He's saying we're just an instrument. And that's important. That's important for you. That's important for me. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we communicate with other people, that's important. When God, out of his grace and his mercy, out of his goodness, out of his just merciful kindness chooses at some instance in the course of any given day to grant you the grace and the ability to communicate his love to someone, to do something that's effective in the gospel, to share something effectively. We don't want to be deceived. We want to know, man, that was God. That had a whole lot less to do with me. I was just a conduit by which something transpired, and I'm thankful for that. Paul's saying that clearly. We trust God with such a task. We know it's not us. God does choose to partner with you and me in this process. He wants us to be a part of it in this task of reaching others. But we don't want to make a mistake and start to think that it's about us or some good thing that's inside of us that's caused that to happen. No, it's God that's moving in and through you, in and through me to communicate something of value to others. That keeps us on the right plane as far as humility goes. That keeps us thinking right. Paul is communicating that in the mix of all of this. And he says, you know, if this letter of the law that kills Ultimately, that communication about, again, he's, he's wanting to be clear about something that kind of is, again, floating around. Judaizers would come in behind him and start to tell people, hey, you know, Jesus is really cool. That's really awesome. But you've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. You've got to keep the letter of the law. You've got to, all these things. They're trying to pull them into a Judaism. And that's not what Paul was sharing with them. That's not what God wanted them to do. He says the letter of the law, by pulling them into that, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, side note, you might write down just to look up later. But when the law came in Exodus 32, 28, when the law was given, 3,000 plus were killed, died. Because of the rebellion, you remember the the issue that happened with... uh, Poof, the golden calf. Kind of like puff the magic dragon, poof, the golden calf. You remember, poof, you know, this? you remember how Aaron's just like, well, gosh, Moses, I don't know, you know, you were up on the mountain for so long and we were just hanging out and all of a sudden, you know, people wanted to, you know, worship something and so, you know, all of a sudden we just threw some gold and stuff into the fire, poof, this thing, this calf showed up, you know. Yeah, we know better than that. But at that point, sin was, was rampant and there was a, God made a, a very clear break on some things and, and really kind of busted on some stuff. And, and there were those that were with him and those who were, who were standing in opposition. And ultimately, there were over 3,000 that lost their lives. Exodus 32, 28. I love the contrast of these things. God's word is so perfect, you know, and the, how, how it, they parallel and, and, and kind of complement and explain things to us. Because when you read in Acts 2, verse 41, It clearly says that 3,000 were added to the church that day when the Spirit was given. Very contrasting, isn't it? It's it's, it's this, oh, wow, so the law was given. Yeah, the law is right. Yeah, the law is right. It's just. It's true. But it brings death to you and I. I'll read something to you out of Romans. Romans chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, Paul says, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In other words, that legalistic relationship that existed based on the law was really to show us our desperate need again that i can't live up to this righteous standard i will fail and i need a savior it it's very frustrating to try and live that life as a christian based on the other the spirit gives life paul is saying that's what i was communicating I was communicating about the spirit that's given life. The mere fact that you exist, he says, the mere fact that you as Corinthians exist and have a church, that simply is the letter itself that was communicated, that commendation, and that's all we need because it's the work of God's spirit. It's not written on pieces of paper. It's not written on stone. It's etched in the hearts of men and women by the spirit. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We want to be that kind of a ministry, not held to. And this is one of the reasons why we can't, one, we can't find church membership in the Bible. We can't find it anywhere, so we don't have it. If you come to this church and you want to make this church your home church, then this is your home church. And we consider you part of the family. If you're a born again believer and you're part of the family of God, then that's great. You know, you then get involved, get to know us, we get to know you, it's, it's wonderful. That's the body of Christ as God does it. But to try and have to have a piece of paper that, you know, endorses one another saying, yes, that makes us all part of one group, I don't find that scriptural. Paul here, as a matter of fact, is saying something quite contrary to that, I think. That man, it's, it's the bond of God's work in our lives and the forgiveness of sin and the newness of life and following the Lord with a, a, a pure heart and the simplicity of God's spirit. Let's go on in verse seven. But if the ministry of death, so he's going back talking about how the letter kills and the spirit gives life, the commendation that they exist, the letter has been written on their hearts, Jesus is the author, Paul's the instrument, the spirit's the ink. That's what he's talking about in this thought right here. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. He says that was radical, that was a powerful thing that transpired. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance which which glory was passing away. Now, Paul really gives us some insight to what we saw in Exodus after the law was given. Moses would spend time with God. He would be there in the presence of the Lord. And his countenance, when he would come out, he would just have this glowing face about him from being in the presence of the Lord. Now, I I really think, when you and I are really connected, and this is why we, we don't believe worship is just Sunday morning, you see. I believe worship is a lifestyle, as Christians, and that as we worship the Lord, as we're fixed, we talk about this from time to time, that that scripture that talks about being taken captive, bringing every thought into captivity, but that idea of being taken captive is the idea of we are so caught up in his presence that I'm captivated. You know about being a captivated audience as we watch the truck going around the cliffs. Yeah. You know, I mean, now it's kind of captivating, you know. watching that little video of what goes on and how long it takes to, you know, that was a 10-minute clip of a three-hour ride, you know, 30 miles, long haul. But we're captivated because we're looking, it's like, oh my goodness, this is just radical. Looking upon the presence of the Lord is captivating. He is the object of our worship, and that changes our countenance. As we gaze upon him, there's something that's transferring back to us. As we're gazing upon him, it's coming back to us. It's powerful, and Paul kind of talks about that in this. He says, this is what happened with Moses, but he would get in the presence of the Lord, and then he'd put this veil on, because the people were looking at him, dude, man, you know, cover that up kind of thing. He puts this, this veil on, So, but Paul kind of really says what's going on here. Moses knew what the people didn't know, and that was that it would fade through time. You see, when you and I aren't getting in the presence of the Lord, when you and I aren't in close fellowship with the Lord, when we're not spending time in the Word, when we're not spending time, the main four deals, right? Main four ingredients, Acts 2.42, prayer, fellowship, the Word of God, partaking of communion together. When we're not invested in those things, what happens is gradually the countenance kind of dissipates a little bit. We don't have that same sense of his presence within us. And it's, it's not kind of exuding from us, you see. There's more of us again and less of him. And we want more of him and less of us. That's our desire. John, you know, said, man, I want to decrease and he must increase. I want God to increase in my life. That's where they get the idea of I am second. You know, I'm second. God's first in my life. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for listening to the message today. You know, I was thinking about Jesus being that good shepherd. And he said, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You know, we just kind of think of that as a door on hinges that opens and shuts. But really, at that time period, the shepherd was the door himself. He would lay across the opening. And the sheep would have to kind of cross over him and get through him to get in and out of the sheepfold. And he said, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, Jesus was never just a hireling for you or for me. Jesus loves you with a perfect love. He gave his life for you on the cross. He wants to give you life abundant as spoken of in the scripture here. He is the access into everlasting life. Maybe you've been distant from the Lord. You tuned in and you've you've gone to church before. You've opened your life at one point, but now you're just living out in the world and and away from God, and you're feeling the, the hurt and the shame and the conviction of the sin, well, Jesus wants to forgive you again in a fresh new way. He wants you to get started on that journey again. And, and maybe you're hearing this simple gospel message for the first time, and you want to give your life to Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you, and God wants to give you a chance. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of all my sin. I want to invite you into my heart to be my personal Lord and Savior. I want to thank you for the free gift of everlasting life that you've given me now. And I thank you, Lord, for all your goodness, all your grace. And I just ask, Lord, that you would flood my heart with your Holy Spirit now, that my life might bring you honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and
0: received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, the service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.
1: Jesus, come.